Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Um, I am so thankful that we can come together as a church family, support each other, take care of each other, help each other through some really hard times. We've got two um, memorial services this week, and one will be a celebration of life and sad, and the other one is going to be really just full of heartache. And so I pray the things that we're doing on Sunday morning aren't just to fill us with more knowledge of you, Lord, or more knowledge of your word, that they would help to equip us for when those waves crash and when things are shaking in our lives, that we can see that you're good and we can trust you no matter what. It doesn't mean that you're going to take away all the pain in an instant or that we should act like it doesn't hurt or that it's not a terrible season, but instead, Lord, we would trust you through all of it. We need your help. We need your spirit to fill us with that kind of hope. And we find that kind of training happening through your word. And I pray, Lord, that we can dig in so that we would be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. It talks about building a home and training in a home. And it talks about kids. And we're going to be... Oh, you found me in the Bible? Okay, Ben. That's good. Thank you. Now... My crap, good. good. Um, this is actually my parallel Bible. This is kind of a cool one. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have these. It has the NIV on one side and the message on the other. But as I'm learning, sometimes I got to do this now. I'm not sure why, but I don't know what happens when those, those days come. I'm not sure. Well, it's just since Angie brought this, we have to use it. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom the house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. In the message. Like the horizons for breadth and the oceans for depth, the understanding of a good leader is broad and deep. Remove impurities from the silver, and the silversmith can craft a fine chalice. Remove the wicked from leadership and... Authority will be credible and God honoring. No, it's the wrong one. <laughs> Here, let's do this again and I'll read the right proverb. It's like, what? Maybe it's the message. It's just sounds my head. completely the wrong passage. How about this? <laughs> it takes wisdom to build a house and understanding to set it on a firm foundation. It takes knowledge to furnish its rooms with fine furniture and beautiful draperies. That sounds better. Uh, I like I like it. I can just put my silliness on display for all of you. So what we're getting at is when we build our house, um, we talk about our homes. We talk about our and it's not just the. I hope you get the metaphor. It's not your actual house. It's what's in the house. It's the family. It's what's going on in your home. And it's to be built upon God's words. We built upon a trust of of God and everything. It's the, in your relationships and everything you do should have a foundational truth to it. But it also gets in our family relationships. That if we understand who God is, we understand how much he loves us, we under, that that's more important than all the things in the house. That it's more important that you give them yourself to your family and to your kids and the people around you than you would <clears throat> fill it full of great furniture and great things. And um, It's great to have a well-painted home. But it's more important to spend time with the family and you would build into them. We have work to do. And part of this passage kind of pulls into that it's our responsibility as believers, as followers of Christ, to impart that into our children, to impart that into the people around us. 
that we don't we don't farm out those things. That we have a responsibility as parents. Um, one thing that seems to be more true than anything um, is that you should give yourself to your family more than just make money to your family. And this is really hard when you're early in your marriage and early into having kids because you have nothing. And so you're just trying to keep your head in the water, aren't you? If you're working a job, you're doing the thing, you're trying to make it through, and you're just trying to survive, and then you hit this point in your life when your kids are around teenage years and kind of hope, <clears throat> or maybe it's when the grandkids come, and finally when your kids are in the house, and you look back and you're like, man, maybe I shouldn't have worked so hard for those things. Maybe I should have spent some more time with my kids. Maybe I should have not chased these dreams of this career or this thing and instead invested in them. But it's a weird thing to... In the beginning of your life, you're trying to just pay a mortgage. You're trying to just pay a car payment. You're trying to just put the food on the table. And so you're busy. But that's the most precious time to have with your kids. It's the most precious time to spend with them. Um, I had the, the joy of having a, a career shift from teaching to being in ministry where I had a little more flexibility when Eli and Sam were very young. I worked long hours, but I was able to take an afternoon off here and there. And that's when I came back from the Harbor Ministry thing 10 years ago. We instituted the Sabbath on our house on Fridays. Sunday is work day for me, has been for almost 20 years. And so I don't get to take a weekend off because I stopped to work. Uh, but we took Friday off. And my kids to this day still talk about that. That we would sleep in, as late as little children would let you. We stay in our pajamas until noon. We would open up the fryer for the Friday and dump in frozen food and make a terrible lunch. It was always like nuggets and fries and whatever you could put in there and deep fry, we ate it. We went to the park. We that night we watched a movie. We even bought a new TV just to have better movie nights. Just so we could build it into the kids on this one day. Because I, I worked hard. I tried to do a good job. And... I couldn't be with them every night. I couldn't be with them every day. I wasn't a stay-at-home dad. I couldn't do those things. But we made it special on this day. And my kids talk about it this day. Um, road trips. But just this week, uh, talking to the kids as teenagers now. It's a whole different thing when they're teenagers. Because then they're going in a million different directions. And take them aside and go, hey, we're going to take a road trip down to Denver. And some friends are playing at a brewery. And we're going to take off and we're going to go. I know it's going to be late, but you can sleep on the way home. I'll take care of it. Let's just go. Let's get some good food and listen to some good music and be around some good people, and we're going to go. And you're like, all right, let's do it. But do you spend time building your relationships more than chasing money? I've told you this before, but everybody that really puts into the, into the bank account and to puts into the savings account and to leave a legacy behind of cash to bless people, um, usually you, you have created a pile of wealth and you've given it to, as an inheritance to someone. Within two generations, all that money is gone and they've forgotten about it. And so when you're building all of this cash and you're working so hard to bless your family when you pass, within a couple generations, it's all gone. It would be better to build into their lives, build into their life Christ, build into their lives a foundational truth of wisdom than just stuff. We have to be careful with that. What this proverb would tell us is that we should be building a house on wisdom. Proverbs 
15. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. It's better for our homes to be filled with love and correction and connection instead of, and especially here in, well, for me, because I'm not a vegetarian, better to have a vegetarian meal where there is love than a nice fatted ox, a nice, for me, a nice ribeye, marble, cooked perfectly, medium, rare. It'd be better to have a vegetable plate and have love than to have this great state and hatred. Turmoil in the house. To think that you would have conflict in the home, but, I mean, think of it this way. If you're, we're going to get to Colossians in a minute. If you're an overbearing father, so I'll pick on dad, so I'll pick on me. If I'm always making sure my kids are doing X, Y, and Z, and there's discipline, and there's rules, and I'm hard on them, and I'm making sure that they're towing the line, and there's always yelling, there's always correction, and there's never love, there's never compassion. But then at dinner time, I go, look, here's a great mistake. I haven't seen you for three weeks. I've had no communication with you for three weeks. I've not really been engaged in your life. I'm not really here showing you these things. I'm not here at night to pray before you go to sleep. I'm not here to talk about church. I'm not bringing you to church. I'm not carting you around the youth group. I'm not encouraging you in your faith. But here's a great thing. It'd be better if we just gave us vegetables and not worked really hard for the choice of meat and spent time with them. That's what the prophet, what the author is trying to get, get us to see. I've never, in, in the years of, of talking to people, especially young men, um, I've, never, I've never had a person tell me, you know, my parents just always spent too much time with me. I just wish I had more time alone. I just wish they would have left me alone more. I wish they would have not taken me on vacation. I wish they would not have sat down and talked to me. You know, my house, my parents were always talking to me. It's so terrible. What I have heard is, I wish my dad would spend more time with me. I wish my mom would have encouraged me in this. I wish my parents would have been there for me more. And, and I, we also have to give each other some grace. Those early years, you're just trying to put food on the table. It's hard. It's really hard. But we need to have that balance early in our lives. And when we have failed, then we have the grace to re-engage. We have the grace to step back in. And we have, like, you have that hard conversation. My dad had it with me about five years ago. It was the last time he visited out here. And he encouraged me. He's like, man, Mike, I really... I really think I could have used you as an example in raising you. That's how I spent time with my kids. And I was engaged with my kids. And I watched my dad start engaging with Eli especially, but with Savannah as well. I never saw my dad in all my life. I don't remember a time when he got on the floor and played a game with me, ever. But he did with my kids. And I could have been bitter about it. I could have said, my dad never got on the floor and played Legos with me. My dad never did that with me. My dad, never, my dad never sat in a chair and just talked about things with me. It was always work, work, work. But I saw my dad wanting to make a shift. I saw my dad wishing he had, had more free time and had more training to do it well when he was young as a father, and he was pouring into my son. So even as a grandfather, like you have an opportunity to pour into people. You have an opportunity to pour into the people around you. You don't have to have all that regret. And he did. He apologized. 
But I get it. He's working his tail off. I'll say it that way. I get it. He's working two jobs, trying to put food on the table, trying to start a business, trying to, I get it. But we should all learn the lesson to spend more time instead of just chasing the stick. Give your children parents who are following Jesus. Your parents need to see how you are functioning in your faith. You need to let your kids, and some of you, grandkids, your great-grandkids, you need to let the young people around you see how you're living your faith. One of the greatest things you can give your kids is see how you love Jesus, how you function. It doesn't have to be that every morning, wait, wait, I can't talk to you, son. I can't talk to you, daughter. I'm in the middle of my devotion. Wait until my time with the Lord is finished, and then I shall give you a breakfast. Like, so they don't need to be taxable, but do they see you when things happen, you're bummed, and things are going crazy in life, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust Jesus in, when it's all falling apart? Do they see you going to a Bible study, going to Sunday school, coming to church, that it's important to you? And even if they don't get it as little kids or even teenagers when they're pushing and finding out who they are themselves, do they see a consistent pattern in you loving the Lord? Or do they see a dualistic kind of situation? Do they see you coming to church, but then you're at home living a whole different kind of life? And that is, I'm not saying that we don't get angry. I'm not saying we don't get upset. I'm not saying we don't say harsh things. But even when you do have those harsh moments with your kids, do you apologize to them? Do you say, I should have done that? Like it was, it was a couple, I guess it was last year, I got really furious with your life. His sister, they, they went to a youth outing, came back. She was clearly shaken. She tells him that he like really like a maniac. And she got really scared they were going to die. He had to turn her a little too fast, and he just blew it off like, ah, it's no big deal. It's fine. We're fine. It can happen. And it scared her to death. And so then I had to correct him. And it was not a kind correction. Because it scared me that he's driving like a teenage boy. And he's got his sister, and he and I gave him the whole you're responsible to the people in your vehicle, whether it's your girlfriend, your sister, other people, their lives are in your hands. What are you doing? I'll take your car away. I'll flash the tires myself so you never drive again. Like, I went full war at him. And I know there were some words said that should not be said in the church as well. He got the message. And then I had waited about 30 minutes, and I calmed down, and I knew where it came from, my fear, my fear of what he was doing, my fear of, of Savannah being hurt, and I had to apologize to him. I'm sorry I spoke to you that harshly, I mean, he knew he did wrong, he knew it. I didn't have to go after him like that, but in my fear, I spoke out. Sometimes you have to go apologize, even in those moments. I was 100% correct in talking to him. But my tone, my attitude, my depression. And I had to apologize. Your kids are watching. People are watching. The ones that are closest to you are watching. How do you react when you get stuck? Do you have a devotional life? And I don't mean that you have, there's all the little memes, we call them memes now, that used to be the devotional pictures sent out where you, you know, your kids should see the spot where the floor is worn out to your knees and praying, kind of stuff. Or, is the Bible always open on the end table so they know you're always studying? 
And I can be homes like that where you can tell that it'll be a Bible laid out. And then you come to visit three weeks later and it's still in the same passage. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's, that's a decoration. That's not a real devotional life. Um, but do they see you? Do they see you pray? Do they hear you pray? Do they understand you're in prayer? Do they, do they know that you love the Lord? Do they know that you're in community and fellowship with others? Like you're modeling it for the younger people around you. They're watching. What are they seeing in you? One of the dangers of even trying to encourage some discipline in life is that it becomes, it can become a bit um, of a place of hypocrisy. If your kids, your grandkids, know that you go to Sunday school every week, go to church every week, you go to Bible study in the middle of the week, but then there's so much tension in your home, anger coming from you, that it's not manifested in how you live your life, then you're going to create young people that are not going to believe that you really love the Lord and are not going to see the fruit of it. You can do all of the tasks, do the checklist. I do my Bible study every day, I pray every day, I go to church every Sunday, and I go to Sunday school every week, or I go to Bible study every week, and then your life does not reflect that you have any anchor in Christ at all. What, what are people going to think about that? Well, man, she does all the stuff, but her life does not reflect that. He does all the things, he's part of all the groups, but there's so much tension in our house that I don't want anything to do with God. We have to be careful. It's not just a ritual. It's not just an act. It's not just something to check off. Your time with God should change you. And kids see that. The people in our lives see that. Children are a gift from God. We must first understand that to be true. And as parents, there's no greater responsibility than teaching them about Jesus. There's no greater responsibility. And as parents, as grandparents, as people in our community, we're, our goal is to set the kindling of faith around kids, and we watch the Holy Spirit light it on fire. And that has everything to do with parents and in homes, but then there's some parents that don't feel equipped. There's some parents that are just kind of trying to figure it out themselves. And so those of us who've been walking in faith for a season... We should step in and help in those situations. And that's why we have Children's Church. It's why we have VBS. We have all these, these things that we're doing to help kids be built into it. Just like you come to church to be fed and to grow and to know more about Jesus, take a step closer to God, that's for our kids as well. And so it's not just a, a place to help Marissa in Children's Church to go, well, I did my time. I did my once every six weeks, and I showed up, and I was there, and I wrangled some kids, and I wiped some snot, and I made sure. It's that we have this beautiful opportunity to help set the kindling around these kids. And yes, I'm trying to guilt trip you into volunteering your children ministry. But if you don't like kids, and you'd be a detriment to children's ministry, then don't volunteer. If you're just going to do it out of duty, like we just discussed, you're just doing it out of duty to check it off, we don't want you in there. Because then it's going to be reflected in the kids. They're going to see it. They're going to feel it. This adult is in here just because the pastor guilted me into it, and I signed up for it, and I hate it here, and I don't want to be here. Those kids are going to feel love. They're going to feel a connection to Christ. They're watching you. But Marissa needs help. The children's ministry needs help. 
And if you aren't the one that's going to sit with the kids, and when BBS show comes, there's all these other things to do too. When you children ministry during the week, there's all kinds of stuff that you should take some of the load off by helping them organize and do and help. And it's our responsibility as adults, parents and grandparents, to pour into our kids. And sometimes you have the blessing of not only pouring into our kids, but pouring into other people's kids. And it's beautiful. Just like we want adults to love to come to church, to love to learn more about Christ and grow closer to Him, we want the kids to do the same. It's our responsibility, they're a gift. Parents are responsible for children, and children are responsible. Be responsible to parents. We're both ultimately accountable to Christ. And as your kids get older, my kids now, I can tell them, "You're responsible to me as well. Like you, you I'm responsible to you. You're responsible to me. We have this. We're in this together. But ultimately, my kids should be responsible to Christ. Especially now, as old as they are, they both confess a faith." In Christ, they both been baptized. So I can have different conversations with them. Does this honor God? Does this honor, does this bring glory to Him? Are these decisions really leading you to Christ? So, I mean, we're fit into the dating world. Both my kids have celebrated one year anniversary with a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And I don't like it. <laughs> but I hope that I've helped shape and guide and helped to set them up to navigate those things. And then I have this other responsibility as a parent now where I'm going, I mean, let's be honest. I don't think that, don't tell them this and some of them can see them, but they're in high school. Is this really going to last forever? But it could. So I need to shape even the boyfriend and girlfriend. I need to be active in their lives as well. We all joke about the, the girl that Goes on a first date and dad can be cleaning the shotgun or whatever to show up. If, if somebody had done that and my son showed up and they had a gun out and tried to threaten him, I would go to that house and take care of that dad who did that. That's a terrible idea. You threatened my son when you pick up your daughter, we're going to have a conversation in your front yard. You wouldn't do that, but instead, you become friends with them. You engage with them. You take them out. You, you hang out with them. You do. I don't want my kids to have a separate life. Come to the house. Come let me cook you meals. Come let me let me show you what this looks like in our home. And I'm going to trust you with my son. I'm going to trust you with my daughter. You have a responsibility. Both parties are ultimately responsible to Christ. Paul in Colossians kind of tells us that. That you have this responsibility, especially the dad, not be heavy-handed with your kids. But we're supposed to be training them in wisdom. Do you train your kids in the wisdom? Do you train your grandkids in the wisdom? Do they see us pray? Do they see us study the Bible? Do you do Bible studies with them when the time is appropriate? Do you read the, I mean, I, the children's storybook Bible? We read through it this like four times when kids were little. Every year we read through it. They loved it. Then we moved on to Operation World. We prayed for the gospel to be known in countries that were hardly ever talked about. You ask my kids about Vanuatu, and that was like the, the running country they giggled about because they never heard about it. Are they engaged in studies? My kids are old enough now, they're seeking those out themselves. Eli goes to early morning studies, Savannah does a, a girl study on Wednesdays, she's going to do one this summer. Like they're actively now at the stage 14 and 17, almost 15 and 18, where they're 
taking some responsibility for their faith, and I'm just encouraging them. That doesn't happen just overnight. They don't wake up at 14 and go, you know, I think I want to go to a study and be communion with others. Do they see you doing that? We have to train them in wisdom. Not just Bible knowledge, but the application of the truth that they're leaning into. Um, one of the dangers of kids is that in the evangelical church, they are socially acceptable idols. How many people do we know that have like we'll talk about everything. Like, don't, you shouldn't do this too much, shouldn't do that too much. But our kids become our idols. We're going to drive them to seven different things. We're going to involve them in a hundred different activities. And they're never going to be in church. They're never going to be in a youth group. They're never going to be part of a community. Because we're chasing all of these dreams for them to be NBA players or major league baseball players or the best musicians ever or whatever. We're going to chase all these dreams. And we often in the church go, well, you know, it's just a team. Your seven-year-old may be the all-star team, and they're just they're gonna be fantastic and amazing. And we've all been there. You're on the seven-year all-star team, you're driving around, you're paying cash, you're going everywhere, and are you pouring into their spiritual lives as well? Now I'm not saying don't do those things, but if you're going to miss all of this stuff in life that's building into their faith, you better you better be playing time. If you're going to be gone for a season during football season or basketball or whatever it is, and you're going to be gone every Sunday for six weeks, then it's your responsibility as a parent to pour into them in those moments. Like, are you poor? Are, are your kids becoming, I don't want to upset Johnny. I don't want to make him upset because they get really, well, who's the parent? Like, you're in charge. You're in charge of their lives. They don't get to dictate what they do all the time. In the church, we kind of have this problem. We'll talk about all the things you shouldn't do, should be focused on, we'll get your kids or grandkids, we got to take a couple steps back, and don't you talk about my kids. Don't you tell me what to do not to do. Do you have those conversations with your family? Like, are we really going to chase all this stuff? Are we going to make sure that you understand the truth of God? We're going to build you into a great citizen in the kingdom of heaven, or prepare you to go on to the world to be a light in the darkness. We have to be careful. As a church, we have this responsibility. <coughs> it's our role as a church to build into this. But ultimately, it's a parent's job. Your kids are your kids. Um, I've gotten asked over the years, uh, my kids went to snowy range, and I don't need to do this. <coughs> I'm not sure if the other grade schools do it, but at Snowy Range, you start teaching social studies in kindergarten. I think it's in second grade they do a comparative religions class. You did that? And so they came home with a package and they were studying the Abrahamic faith Judaism, Islam, and Christianity in second grade. Like, this is awesome. Like, I'm thinking this is their, they're doing comparative studies. It's great. And I had two parents who are faithful believers and they were concerned and they wanted to opt their kids out because they didn't want their kids to learn about Islam. Like, I don't want my kids exposed to these false religions. And what do you think? Like, it was like the pastor question sitting in the front of a foyer. And I'm like, well, 
I think it's my job. I think it's great. They just look at me and go, how is it? It's great. It's great for them to know all cultures. And it's my job as a parent to make sure they understand which one is the true thing. That's my job. I got the same question on teaching high school um, from a family member who said, don't you think it's terrible prayers taken out of school and shouldn't we have a prayer that's said over the kids every day? And I go, I, I pray for my students every day. Well, but like over the intercom. And so I said, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but which denominational expression do you want over the intercom? Well, what do you mean? I want a Christian prayer. Yeah, that's easier said than done. Like, do you want, and Vincent, Indiana has a large Catholic community, and this family member is not Catholic. I said, well, do you want a, a prayer of the rosary? Oh, no, we would never do that. Okay. Well, do you want a liturgical prayer, like from an Episcopalian or a Lutheran expression? Well, no. Okay. And she happened to be charismatic, and she wanted a more charismatic type prayer over the intercom. Goes, so you're choosing your religion for this whole crew of people. Okay? This is never going to go the way you want. It could be, if you say you want prayer in school, it becomes Muslim prayer one Tuesday, becomes a Jewish prayer the next, and becomes a Buddhist prayer the next. Well, no, I want to be a Christian. That's their life problem. You want your expression of Christ said over an intercom to a whole group of people with no context. What do you think we should do? Well, what I do. My class knows I'm a believer. They know I help out in the group. And I have kids come by my room during prep hour every day needing help. I get to speak truth and lives that way. How about we just get a bunch of teachers who love the Lord in the building and then it'll permeate through the whole building? Oh. Yeah, I like that. Me too. It's the, it's the parents, it's our responsibility as a church to set the stage for those things, to equip parents, to train parents, to train kids, to be there. But ultimately, it's the home's responsibility. We have to equip people to make those homes built on wisdom. And we can do that. We can do that. Colossians 3, 20, 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, you know this isn't, this does not mean obey everything. If your parents, if an adult tries to tell a children to the children, a child to sin, then you don't do that. But don't ever proof text this. And you say, well, I read in Colossians chapter 3, you're supposed to obey what I say, so do everything I say. No. You as a parent saying children should obey me doesn't get to trump the the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel. <clears throat> but, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Even though this is written to fathers, it's for you ladies as well. You have to be careful in the conversations we have with our kids. Overbearing parents can take the life of faith out of the kid. You will go, you must go, you... You're going to go because I say so. You're going to go because I said it. Because it's the way it should be. You have to be very careful with your kids. Especially when it comes around faith. Give them some space. Give them some time. If, they're, if you're modeling it to them. And it's part of your household. Then they're going to be drawn to it. And when questions come. And doubts come. And they, they discover the internet. And they start dabbling in the faith. What is faith and what is true and what is not. Don't freak out. Walk with them in it. 
You can't be so heavy-handed with your kids that they fear you. And I was afraid of this early with Savannah. I think I've shared this before. Um, Savannah was the one that would look you in the eye and still do what she shouldn't do. She's not quite like that anymore, but it's in there, I think. I remember the we had, this is how, I mean, Savannah's almost 15, but so we're old enough to have a VCR DVD combo 15 years ago, where you still had some VHS tapes around, and she was about a year old, maybe 13 months old, and she would always try to shove things in the VCR spot. Like, just stop. Like, what? You tell her no, and she would do it anyway. Don't touch that. She would do it anyway. She would pop out the DVD tray and, like, hang on it. Like, don't do that. And, and so I was always yelling at her. And it got to the point where if I got off the couch and telling her no, she knew she was going to get swatted. And her immediate reaction at, like, 13 months old, as soon as Dad got off the couch, was to turn and do this and back up against the wall. And I was like, oh, she's now so scared of me. And even if I wanted to go give her a hug, or like she's, she's now becoming afraid of me. So I had to switch my whole tone. I had to switch everything. And so I said, Savannah, <clears throat> this was only one time, and I do this every time. I said, you deserve to be punished for what you've done. I've told you over and over and over not to do this. But I'm going to show you grace. Let's get some ice cream. And I tried to turn this moment into, now, she asked for ice cream the next time I corrected her, so it kind of blew up my face. But I just switched my tone with her. You know, I always know what to talk to you. Savannah's all, it's just, each kid's different. But if you're so heavy-handed with your kids, do as I say, not as I do, you will, you will, you can just push the life right out of them. And every kid's different. Some of you have multiple kids, you know. You could approach one child this way, the other child would approach this way. You're just different human beings. I wish they all came with the same instruction manual, but they don't. So you as a parent can engage with your kids enough to where you know how to handle both kids, or three kids, or six kids. You've got to know. That only comes with time and presence in their life. And I know a lot of you have faced this. But I'm, I'm now seeing in just about three years both my kids potentially out of the house. Now there's a part of me that's like, there's a big part of it's like, ooh, time is short. I don't have a lot more time. I need to make sure that I'm equipping them. I need to make sure that they're ready for this. I think I've done a good job. Pray I've done a good job. There's still work to be done. And so the question I have for you to take home with is do a home personal inventory. <clears throat> Where are some areas in your life and in your home that you can change? And if you don't have kids at home, I know this service has a lot of people with no kids at home, but think about the kids that you're encountering, your grandkids, kids in the community, kids in the church, people you can pour into. Do you have the capacity to pour into some people, some little people, or maybe into some parents? Maybe you have no desire whatsoever to help Marissa and children ministry. You're like, I have done my time. I am not going to set foot in that place. Because I'm afraid I'll drop kids kids when they yell. Then don't help the kids. There's a pile of young moms and dads in our church that would love to glean from you some wisdom. How did you handle these things? How did you deal with this? How are you? How did you navigate this? 
You could pour into some young families that could just use a break, use some help, use some support. You have lots of opportunities to help and help people know the Lord through some discipline, some service, and some help in our kids. So do a home inventory. If you have no kids at home and you, your grandkids aren't around when you see them very often, then it's an inventory for yourself. How are you connected to the Lord? Do you have times when you spend in quiet with God? Do you have a good discipline, a good pattern, a good rhythm in your life where you're feeling encouraged and loved? Or, or do you have a pattern, a rhythm where you're so bombarded by negativity that causes you to be negative? Do you have hope and joy? Do you love those times with God? Well, maybe there needs to be some changes made. And it can be small tweaks. Spend five minutes more over here. Spend ten minutes more over here. Spend some, I mean, as Matt said, we're, we're all about getting outside now. For the next three months, we're all going to be as outside as much as we can. We'll redeem that time. Maybe it's a great time just to be in prayer and awe of the beauty of what God has created. And not dwell on the last terrible winter we just had. And lastly, is unconditional love a core truth in your home? If you have unconditional love for your children, if you have unconditional love for your grandkids, the kids in your community, you are a, a vessel of grace that pours out on others. That shows people so much of Christ. Where yes, there's wisdom. Yes, there's correction. Yes, there's tough conversations. But are you a person of unconditional love? Or do your kids and young people around you, your grandkids and the children around, people in your life, do they feel like to earn your love? If you continually show people around you that love is an unconditional act of grace and compassion and pointing people to Christ, that will be one of the central ways in which they grow in their faith. Because so much of our lives, so much of the world, there's conditions. Do a good job, get a paycheck. Do the right things, these things will happen to you. There's all these strings attached to so many relationships. But our relationship with God is unconditional love. And so if you're modeling that to the young people in your life, the people around you, you're modeling that, hey, I got upset, hey, this isn't okay, hey, we need to fix this, but I love you. And that's never going to stop. That points people to the love of Christ more than so many Bible studies and so many corrections and so many things that you're going to love them right where they're at. And you're going to love them enough to help them get through whatever they're going through. But with little kids in the house or teens in the house, it's so central. Do you love them unconditionally? Because Christ loves you unconditionally. That's how we help people to see that truth. So two things. Your week. Think about your daily life. Just looking at the calendar, what do you do today? How are you connecting to God? And if things need to be changed, then change them. It's never too late. Where's parts of your home that need more wisdom? That need to be built up in Christ? And are you a person that has unconditional love to others? Even when they've wronged you, they've slighted you, they've hurt you, do you still show them grace? It doesn't mean you invite them over for dinner. It doesn't mean that you 
are going to be with them. So would, if someone repented, if someone came to you, if someone asked for forgiveness, would you love them? Or would you hold back your love because it's only conditional to what you want out of them? That's not showing you Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had um, in your word. And I know we just kind of picked two Proverbs and ran with it. And so um, I pray that we would grab some truth um, out of these words. That our homes are places of refuge and training and correction and wisdom. And they should be places that, that ooze a love for you, Lord. And where the areas of our, of our lives and our homes don't. And I pray you would help expose those to us. You help us see that maybe we're a little too anxious about some stuff and that causes us to doubt your love. Maybe we're um, a little worried about the schedule or a little worried about the routine and we don't make room for the spontaneity of the spirit. I pray you'll help us to see those things and where change needs to be made or maybe we need to double down on some stuff. I pray you'll help us to see that. The hope of all of us is that we would build into making disciples. Sometimes those are little people in our homes, those are teens in our homes, or those are people that we're close to that might not be related by blood, but we are all image bearers of God, and we are to build into each other. Help us, Lord, to do some self-reflection and help us to grow in showing love to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.